Welcome to the Real Uniting Church podcast with Scott and Marty. In this series, we go in search of the core identity of the Uniting Church in this its 40th year and where we might go in the years to come. Join us. Today, we're going to be talking about what do we mean when we say Real Uniting Church? What does it mean to be real and what does it mean to be uniting? So joining us today at uh, Real Uniting Church, two United Church ministers, Janet Staines and David Baker. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Can I start with you, Janet? What's your relationship with the United Church? How, did, how long have you been involved? How did you come to be here? Well, I was ordained in October last year. Also, oh, you're very so, new. Yes, and that's been about an eight-year journey since I first came to the United Church. So I came to the United Church having left a denomination where I was before and uh, was a minister for 16 years and it was a spiritual family to me. My parents were ministers as well, so um, it was kind of everything I had understood about church life, I guess. Um, But after leaving there, I guess I came to the United Church in a pretty broken and lost place, looking for a sense of home or place. And so when I came to the United Church, I guess um, I found a place that kind of fitted and made sense to me and helped me understand what I kind of believed in here and moved it to my head and my understanding and being able to express some of those thoughts and feelings that I'd had in that transition time. So, I mean, eight years on, can you still describe some of those things? Well, yeah, I was in a pretty lost and broken place. I had a steep sense of call, but I had left a denomination that I had been able to express that. So for me, there was deep sense of loss. You know, not only lost that place of ministry, I lost my home, my car, my wage, my employment, uh, my yeah, spiritual yeah. family. So it was a really um, terrible place of loss. And also without the hopefulness that I'd ever be able to fulfill that call anywhere else. Okay. And so when I came to the United Church, I was really looking for a place for my kids to go to church. Okay. I was pretty cynical and hard yeah. about the church at that point and didn't have a sense of hopefulness that I would find a church that could be what I'd hoped I needed it to be. Yeah. Um, but someone said, go to the United Church. They're doing some you know, mission and justice work that you'd probably connect with. So um, I went along for a few weeks, sat up back, you know, probably pretty critical and judgmental about what was going on. But it was on Easter Sunday, or no, Good Friday it was, um, the person who got up and said the call to worship said, welcome all who are lost and broken, all those who felt abandoned by God. This is the day for you. And I think it was that point there was just this deep sense of um, brokenness, but also an awareness that this is a place that I could call home and a place where I could be real, real. (laughs) (laughs) So it was probably that moment on that, um, yeah, I just started to explore faith, heard the gospel in ways I hadn't heard it before. Um, my faith had really deconstructed at that point, so I need to, to understand a God who was there with me in those depths of lostness yeah. and brokenness. So I became a uh, young families pastor only a few months after that. I don't know what the church was thinking. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it forced me to engage in faith ways, and I was really doing my own journey with other people who are experiencing the same thing about the church. So I think there's some interesting themes that we might dig into. But I should uh, introduce our other guest today, David Baker, probably Hi. not uh, new to many of us. Dave, what's what's your story? What, what do you do? What's the relationship oh, with the okay. church? So I'm moderating. So I walk around the church and I say, you're all doing very well. Keep up the good work. Uh, well, I think, I think the byline for the moderator's role is to offer spiritual and pastoral leadership to the church in Queensland. 
which I I try to do. Yeah, so my and my story is very different from Janet's. Uh, born and bred in one of the birthing uh, denominations, uh, and and I think my core experience uh, from childhood is a Christian community is a place of uh, love, liberty, learning, encouragement. Um, um, That's been your experience. Yeah, absolutely. As a kid, Some, I, it was I very profound. Yeah. yeah, and then um, uh, wandered away for some years uh, in uh, ag college and around then, and then uh, found my way back in a very unspiritual way. Just decided that if my life was to roll out, it's probably better to have God a part of it than not. It was not a. It was quite a calculating thing, I think, in some ways. But uh, and then took the journey through various little ways the church was finding itself true, uh, expressing itself, and finally to uh, well, I shouldn't say finally, it's not final yet, <laughs> um, but a winding path to ordination. And now you're the moderator, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Janet. I think, I think the words that you used were that in, in that call to service were welcome all who are. Weary and lost, was it right? Yeah, something I can't remember the direct words, but something like that. Is that? Is I mean, that so that captured you in that moment. Does that capture something for you of what the church ought to be about? Yeah, I think so. I was reflecting on that just this morning. That really, that's how I do ministry now. Um, there's a sense of, and what resonates with me in the Uniting Church is that sense of inclusiveness. That yeah. you don't have to look like us or believe like us in order to belong with us. I think that's a rare thing to find in community life. Most communities, you have to think like the other people in the room. Um, whereas the Uniting Church, I've had an experience of something different than that. And with the, even within the Christian tradition, the theological diversity within one congregation can be huge. And yet, we manage to hold ourselves together somehow. Um, in my congregation, we've had a Muslim refugee couple that have come to the church and. She um, came to faith and has been baptised just recently, but there's another lady who's just started to come along who's Hindu and wants to worship with us, and yet she feels that she's part of us, even though she may not carry the same uh, faith belief as us. So, you know, I think that's just a rare thing to be able to do. So I I think that's been one of the most inspiring things for me, that there was a place for me in the church when I was pretty lost. And, um, and yeah, I want to make that space for other people. In the podcast, we're talking a lot about real Uniting Church. Where do you see that realness being in your experience of the Uniting Church? Just an authentic spirituality, I guess. That's what I was looking for. Everything I had understood about God um, came crashing down around me, which was such a difficult journey to be on when I had always felt uh, I had an experience and relationship with God ever since I was a child. I had that deep connection with God and yet <clears throat> the God I'd come to understand, um, my understanding failed me at a time of that brokenness. Um, so I think that's some sort of authentic spirituality I was looking for, but also the capacity to wrestle with God and wrestle with the questions about God. And I've, I've learned how to do that in the Uniting Church. I just didn't have the language to be able to do that. So that's something I had to learn before I could reconstruct faith, that is a bit more robust and rigorous now. Is part of that about us being able to really name and explore doubts? I mean, is that part of that? You know, is this, are we able to be a church where it's okay to ask really difficult, confronting questions? And... That's been my experience. Um, yeah. I know not all congregations have that capacity, but I have found people around me who had the capacity to do that and help me do that. 
Um, I've heard people say that the United Church is a middle-aged church because we do that well. We have the capacity to ask questions. So I think, you know, it's that fine balance of where we proclaim Christ in a really direct, concrete way and where we proclaim Christ in a way that allows people to ask those questions. So even in ministry now, I find that a difficult challenge. Yeah. That's also an interesting angle on being a middle-aged church that I hadn't thought about before, that, that with you know, midlife comes that capacity to be a little yeah. bit. Absolutely. Well, life's not black and white. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work that yeah. way. Yeah. You, you embrace some of the mystery yeah. of life and you, you feel free that you're able to and it doesn't worry you. Yeah. I think that's a really... It, it, I'd never thought about it as a gift of middle-agedness, but it mm. is. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. And it can give confidence to people. You know, I think of uh, my uh, adult sons, my young adult sons, uh, and young adults who I think at a time of life who are, you know, that's the individuation kind of stage, who mm. am I? And we can sell them a gospel that answers that question for them or we can engage with them in the exploration of that journey. And I think we do the latter generally in the United Church and I think that's a far healthier, far better gift we give to young adults than here's the answer. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and it is the gift of middle age. Yeah. I mean, Dave, you get to, I think you said, wander around the church uh, a bit like that. As you go, do you see us doing this well in some places? Uh, yes and no. I, I mean, I think it was really interesting. This week, um, uh, an agnostic person with whom I work at a frequent level, and I don't know really well, and getting to know well, just said to me, we were talking about the Uniting Church, and she said, you know, you're starting to get to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that sense of... Um, you know, explicitly saying, if I was going to be in a church, this would be it. Yeah. And, I, and, and I've had it other times um, after a court case when I was um, in, a, in my previous career. I was sitting down having a beer with a barrister and I was, I was candidating at the time and I told him what I was doing. And he was a hard-bitten old barrister. But he said, yeah, the United Church, they talk about stuff that matters to people. And it was really, I've, that stayed with me. And I, and I do think it is a mark that our capacity to say these are living issues in people's lives. And while we, we don't have one answer, we're ready to open up and take the journey and see where it might lead us and, and dialogue with one another around what does the gospel say. Yeah. And people see that. They see that posture that we're not coming mm. here saying, Thus saith the Lord, yeah. or the Bible says, and they, they appreciate that that, engage, that that posture of engagement. Yeah, I mean, in a world where the where the tone of public discourse sounds to me at least to be ever more sort of strident and angry, and mm. you know, and, and yeah. harsh, um, maybe that's a particular oh, gift. That... Even politicians, yeah, um, yeah. like I fronted a, a public. A, parliamentary inquiry a couple of months ago and I met up with some of the politicians that were on that inquiry two weeks ago and the feedback was um, you put a position, you gave us something to think about but you didn't shove anything down our throats. Mm. I, think, I think the Uniting Church does have that posture of engagement and I don't know, humility might be too strong a word but a readiness to hear and listen um, and to meet mm. yeah, and people, people get that. 
Dave, the current edition of Journey, the March edition of Journey, has an article in it um, talking to Carolyn Kiddo about some of her learnings travelling around the Synod and, and in all the different presbyteries looking at where we're struggling and where the points of hope are. What do you take from that report that she's given the Standing Committee? Uh, I, I think it was a clear-eyed look in love. Um, and it was, the, it was the observation of a friend who's ready to speak a truth that they saw. I, I think it was a pretty good picture. Uh, and uh, it, it, the, the really good thing about it was it, in the engagement that she you know, spent a couple of hours with the Presbytery Ministers on that report and we talked about it at Standing Committee and, and, and I think it's given us um, more grist to the mill in a positive way to say, well, here, you know, here's some truth about us uh, and here's some pathways that we can think about how do we deepen and grow our health uh, and our well-being. From your perspective, where do you see that those points of challenge are for the church? Like, what do we need to really address and address now if we are going to be a real uniting church going into the future? Yeah. Well, this might sound incredibly repetitious to some. I think it is up to us now to take the way of the cross and to understand discipleship uh, in the life of Jesus and to look uh, very closely uh, at the journey of his life and to understand what he said when he said, if anyone wants to come after me, let them take up their cross and follow me. And I think we need to deepen our understanding of what that means. Do you have uh, any clues? What, I mean, what, well, yeah. What do you mean and, when and, you say that? Well, for me, uh, the non-violent tradition has been a really helpful uh, tradition of Christian thinking that has unpacked that for me. Um, so I do think it is about understanding what the gospel is. Uh, I think it's about uh, understanding the coercions that come to us that keep us from following. And some of those coercions are those who kind of love us the way we are and want us to stay the way we are. Uh, those are fears of what people will say or do if we do radically follow Jesus. Uh, uh, a readiness to um, pay the price of being of speaking and articulating and living in a way that's uh, faithful to Jesus, and a readiness to um, to die to our own plans of what we think it should all look like. So I, I think I think there is some concrete pathways for us, um, and, but but I think it is about fi you know finally going to a concrete place of faith that the faith that I've been called into by the Spirit, the place that I've been called into, is really at the end of the day not about my personal security or my going to heaven or anything like that. It is about uh, how am I bearing witness to the kingdom of God and pointing beyond myself and beyond my church to a vision of human life that is in uh, the life of Jesus. And I think the Uniting Church does this and sometimes I... I find it deeply confronting. The church confronts me, um, but it is about how are we um, standing up for those for whom this society calls unlovely? Mm. Uh, how are we uh, befriending those whom this society calls unlovely and unwelcome and whom, who, uh, who create fear uh, in us? 
and how we're bearing witness to that unity, which is the unity of humanity in that Christ died for. Mm. Uh, so there's some. I, I think I think there's some really concrete expressions we could do around that. Um, it will mean us stopping worrying about how many places on church council we have to fill. Uh, you know, we have to stop worrying about ourselves a bit. I think that could be easier said than done. It's much easier said yeah. than done because if you do own property and if you are yeah. an organisation, you have to be compliant. Yeah. And you know that's a, that's a journey for us that we're struggling with a bit, but uh, that's being a good corporate citizen at the end of the day, yeah. and uh, being a good steward, and um, demonstrating be, being bothered to actually um, demonstrate that you are a safe place for children or vulnerable people, and that your buildings are physically safe. Yeah. And if fr- frankly, if the build if the building's too much of a burden, get rid of the flaming thing. Jesus didn't send us in the world to build church walls. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> you heard it there. Um, Janet, how, how, does, how does some of that resonate or not for you in you know, thinking about your kind of mm. local setting? Yeah, know? I was just thinking, as David was saying that, what that looks like for me where I am at the grassroots level, I guess. I, I think definitely there's a sense of uh, being willing to let go of what we expect the future to be. And, um, you know... I can sit in my position and look at people who are holding on to Christendom and say, you know, you've got to let go of that. It's a sinking ship. Um, but I guess I've been confronted, in, even myself, in the last few months that that I'm not going to have what I think the church should be either, that at some point, um, and maybe it's idealistic, but sometimes we need to let go of all our expectations to see what's ahead of us because I think we just have no idea in many ways. Saying that, I think it is idealistic to think we work from an empty space. I think it's going to take wrestling and it's going to be wrestling with that, those ideas and the things that confront us in order to, for those new things to emerge, I think. Um, yeah, in my congregation, I mean, there's, there's not just the thing of letting go of what we see the future to be or would like the future to be. There's also a sense of letting go of me having to be the one in control of that. I guess that's some of the stuff that I have to deal with in my context. It's not, you know, it's not just about our dreams we let go of. It's about me being the one or the other being the, the one who holds the, the reins to that and allowing someone who might be new or someone from the fringes to be the one that leads those things. I think that's one of the biggest challenges I face in kind of settled congregations. I keep coming back to the, the welcoming words that you heard on that first Sunday morning mm. of, you know, welcome all you who are weary and lost. And, mm. uh, I mean, I, maybe it's just because you just said it, but it keeps kind of every, mm. every part of the conversation, I keep mm. hearing the same thing. Yeah, I think there's abandonment in that. I think there's abandonment. For me, at that point, it was, you know, obviously Good Friday. Christ is abandoned by God or feels abandoned by God. I was feeling that place. But I think there's a place of abandonment we need to get to as well in the church, of letting that go, of getting to a place of emptiness where we've got nowhere else to go but Christ. And, And ask the hard question, is Christ Lord of our church? Some difficult questions, I think, for those who have been in congregations for the same or the same congregation for many years and been pivotal in keeping that congregation running the way that it has. You're listening to the Real United Church podcast. Are we engaging young people enough? And should we have already united with other churches by now? Stay tuned for some more of the conversation with our guests, Janet Staines and David Baker. So 
I mean, I guess that raises an interesting question. If you know, if we're talking about what you know, we think it might be ideal for the church to become, what what the real United Church might be about in the future, does that automatically kind of cast some aspersions on what we've been doing up until now? Every generation's got to make it real for themselves, okay. and I think it's the easiest thing is to cast aspersions on the one before. I think particularly the builder generation. I, I think they did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. They did an absolutely wonderful job. And, um, you know, those we do funerals of people in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and we hear their stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they are heroes. They stories, lived yeah. incredible lives. And, uh, and I, when I do those things, those funerals, I go, geez, you know, what are we going to, what's going to be said about our generation? Thank you very much. It's all about me. Um, I know. Did nothing. Like yeah, yeah. So this I, man broke I, the church. I really, yeah. um, so I think the question sits with us and the temptation to cast aspersions back. I mean, certainly there's, you know, every generation has to let go. And, uh, and, and I, I do think the builders did let go. Generally, I think the boomers hung on too long, and maybe what's the one after it? X's. It's me, Busters. Oh, okay. Yes. I, I, yeah. So I'm just. I think there's. I think there's been a funny thing in Western culture uh, around that that whole you know post the war, post war build, and then and then the whole explosion um, of new expressions in the 60s and 70s, and I I get a feeling the West has lost its way lost its confidence in itself, and that's in the church, in the Western church, particularly in the Protestant church, because we reflect that more than any else. And so I, I have a sense of weight, transition and yeah. what's going to happen. I, I have to say I'm not quite sure. I see, I mean, I see young adults and I see their faith and I, I'm really encouraged, but it's, it's very different. And do you see enough of them? Uh, no, I don't in the United Church. Uh, one former moderator's partner uh, said to me when I was going into this role, well, get ready to see a lot of grey hair. <laughs> so I don't see Is anywhere near. Is that your own? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I... That's right. <laughs> you partner, will go grey very yeah, quickly. Yeah. Uh, the partner was referring to, uh, <laughs> you know, what you look at yeah. over on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, and then, you know, to be honest, in some ways the moderator's role is a historic role that a gener- one generation treats with some degree of, you mm-hmm. know... Um, Respect to say, oh, something's re- something big's happening. We must have the moderator. I, th- I, th- I think the newer generations go. Who's the moderator? Right. What's a moderator? <laughs> What's a moderator? Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah. I, but but I, there definitely aren't enough. Uh, and and I have to say, increasingly, for my concern, uh, is the ethnocentric con- congregations are. are drawing forth their young people and they've got their own peculiar issues but their young adults certainly seem more embedded and more engaged than of the Anglo-Saxon congregations. So I don't see enough. And, and, and I think it's that we as a church are not giving them a challenge. We are, we've become a bit maternalistic and we want to make sure everyone's comfy and cosy and settled and males and young adults want a challenge to a heroic Mm. ideal and I I'm not sure we're doing that so can you say that as a father as well like is that you know you talked about your own young adult kids does that ring true in your children's Uh, yeah they're um, 
my two young adult sons uh, are out and exploring the world uh, with faith, but in a sense, kind of did it independent of mum and dad or their local church. They have explored their own pathways um, to significant volunteer service and significant, you know, giving of themselves. Uh, but uh, but it's been they've had to go and find it. Uh, so part of part of our name is uniting, uniting church. We you know we stand by this kind of uniting thing. What, how how relevant? How important is that now? As you know, for us to say, we we still pursue some kind of constructive relationship with other churches, with other faiths, with other parts of the life of our community. Is that I mean, is that really part of our DNA? Yeah, since I've been coming to the Uniting Church, I've heard the grief of not fulfilling what the United Church started out to do, so physically uniting um, denominations. And there's a sense of loss that we haven't made that, but also a sense of, is that possible? Are we ever going to achieve that anyway? And what does that uniting look like? But I guess, so coming in at this this point of the church's life, I've understood uniting to be more about a reconciling process or stance. So... Um, when I when I hear uniting, it's not just about ecumenism. It's about how are we uniting first and second peoples? How are we uniting um, people who have been disillusioned and excluded from the church back into the church? You know, how are we uniting with other faiths or other denominations in prayer and worship fellowship? That's probably where I sit because I haven't had the baggage of the start and the the loss of what the church yeah, hoped the to achieve. Yeah. yeah. It's a great way to think of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I, and I, I think it is more and more becoming that. Mm. And, of course, the challenging thing is that uh, Jesus was crucified between two opposites mm. while he was trying to bring people mm. together. Mm. So the uniting pathway yeah. is, is mm. and particularly, in, I think, in the culture we're in at the moment, which is a polarising mm. space, yeah. to be uniting is, is going to be challenging and difficult and countercultural mm. uh, and necessary. Mm. And uh, sometimes I've used the joke, we're the bland leading the bland. Mm. Um, it's a very naughty thing to say. Um, we, but, pr- we promise we'll edit that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> he said with his fingers crossed. Uh, it, it, I think it, I, I'm, I'm with you. Mm. I think it's going to be the thing, the charism mm. um, that we, we can bring into spaces because uh, the gospel is a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. And how the basis of union talks about that. How does this play out internally? I mean, we, you know, we, we kind of talk and wear as a badge of honour the diversity of the United Church, the theological diversity, mm. the cultural diversity. You know, but, but one of the challenges for us, surely, is that we're not kind of unified. We're actually not united with ourselves, let alone with anybody else. You mean there's not unity in diversity? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, it, I'm, I'm just a really young fellow. I don't quite understand. But I, I find that really difficult just being in congregation world. Like, how do you set a vision for a congregation? Or how do you, you listen to a vision emerging from the congregation that everybody's on board with? I haven't been able to achieve that yet where I am. There's a sense that there would be like five or six different things that different aspects of the congregation would want to engage in for what a future might look like, but not everyone would be on board with those things. Is this the reality of being church in a postmodern kind of world where everybody's kind of has their own priorities and their own journey and their own truth? um. I don't know. Um, 
I, maybe it's just different places people have come from. Yeah. I mean, I have to constantly draw back to yeah. communion. That's the place where we mm. meet as one. I have to remind them we're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know? mm. That has to be the common ground where I, where I draw back to all the time mm. in order to find some common unity in what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think maybe there's genius in that. Or there's, there's more in that than... That's not that's not a fallback position. Maybe that is no, actually no, 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 for me it's actually is the, the essence it's of our liturgical yeah. life together. Like yeah. it has to be how we form ourselves, how we allow God to form us. I think. Yeah, yeah I vividly remember the two thousand and six assembly in Brisbane. Uh, one of the international visitors telling us that we were a lovely people, and he enjoyed so much being with us because we were so pleasant to be with. But then saying. One day, yes, I'll have to be yes, and you know, I'll have to be no. Yeah. And apparently, he was a bit of a character back in his uh, denomination that he came from, that I found out later. But the shadow side of uniting and diversity is: yeah. this is who we are. This is where we're going. Yeah. And uh, to get to that point uh, means a journey of chaos and emptiness, yeah. and of letting go. Uh, and I think our challenge will be, are we confident enough in our baptism that has formed us and called us to be in Christ that we can have that chaotic and emptying time and come out the other side? Mm. Uh, or will we just stay kind of ambiguous? Mm. But, you know, there's leadership that's doing that. And uh, so I don't, I don't think by any means it's uh, impossible. But, but the, 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 the foundation will always have to be uh, we are together because we've been baptised together. Mm. Uh, we have been baptised into Christ. And so, you know, let the property trust go or let all of our little idiosyncrasies kind of go. Uh, this is the thing that makes us stand. And, you know, the problem is you can you can leave the Uniting Church because it's too kind of wishy-washy or whatever, whatever, but you're going to go to another church, but that doesn't change your relationship with me. We're still brothers and sisters mm. in Christ, I'm afraid. That's... Mm. The reality of the truth. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. So we can't get away from each other. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I just I have one last I have one last question. Um, Dave, you've used you've used the word confidence a couple of times, uh, and I wonder I wonder for me an an alternate word is hope. What is the hope for our church? I, I in my role I get to often stand up and deliver bad news, uh, which is not all that much fun. But I'm more interested in hope that actually that draws us forward um, and I wonder for each of you you know as you, as you think about the United Church what is it that you that makes you hopeful um, for us as a church what makes me hopeful is to see uh, to engage with um, mature balanced healthy uh, spiritually emotionally relationally members of our church uh, and to hear them thinking and working through what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and to be open to the, the Jesus that comes to them from someone who they don't, might not agree with or might see differently. I think for me that was exemplified at the last assembly where I just saw this picture of a businessman from Queensland, a farmer from Victoria, a young first people's person from Port Augusta and an Aboriginal elder from Arnhem Land talking together, listening to one another. Uh, yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, where else in Australia yeah. does that happen? Mm -hmm. And that that common the commonality was Jesus yeah. for them. Mm -hmm. And they yeah, and that commonality meant they were ready to be open to the diversity of experience that was present in that little group.
I found that really moving. Yeah. Any thoughts, Janet? On um, probably similar to what they're saying. You know, I don't need a lot of hope to keep being motivated in ministry. I just need something to see things occasionally. You know, <laughs> every now and then. Every now and then, I just need something to keep going. But you know, Sunday, I just look at my congregation and the hope springing. Um, and you know, it's in a Congolese family who started who are refugees started coming along who, you know, three of the boys asked me for a Bible on Sunday because they didn't have one to take home. Um, in somebody offering to preach who hasn't preached in a congregation for about 10, 12 years, but are really kind of wanting to be useful and be inspired but to preach in a fresh new way. Um, you know, in a new couple coming to church because their business is successful and they want to um, make sure they are grounded spiritually so that doesn't get ahead of them in their own... Um, emotional personal lives like i think they're the hopeful things that god is at work around us mm -hmm. and um and sometimes we don't see it in the ways we want to see it sometimes i don't see it in the way i want to see it yeah but but it's there and it's yeah. it's breathing on those those coals and and gardening those sprouts that are springing up and um making sure we protect those and allowing them to burn into flame i think that's a sense of hopefulness for me I, I just want to encourage ministers uh, to, one, make their people hungry and then to mm. feed them. Okay. Yeah. And then to feed them. And um, to engage, particularly with uh, p people who are seeking, with confidence that the Holy Spirit is ready to lead them mm. uh, and, and confidence that there's nothing that will be asked or talked about or questioned that our tradition doesn't have some capacity to answer. I was talking to one of our... Um, chaplains in hospitals the other day. He got he got chipped because there wasn't a Bible in the thing beside mm. the bed. Okay. And you know, he, is the Uniting Church losing its witness? <laughs> and he told me the story of the engagement of the chaplaincy team with the whole hospital. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, of, of the hospital coming and seeking the chaplain's guidance and leadership in in um, in a whole heap of dimensions of that hospital's life and how deeply he privileged he feels to be in the position of being able to bear witness in that space. Yeah. There's, you know, yeah. some good things happening. Yeah. There's some great things happening. And, and there are people who want to hear. Yeah. Uh, Janet, David, thank you so much for joining us. Real United Church today. It's been a conversation that's ranged far and wide. Uh, thank you too for those who are listening. Uh, we look forward to joining with you next time.